Thank you, and thank you for the privilege, Pastor, and for all who were involved in allowing my wife and I to, to be here. I think I've told you before, there are a couple of places that we go to. One of them, one time, my wife couldn't come the first few days, and they were rather shocked that she wasn't with me, and they asked about her not being there, and I explained that uh, we had some difficulty. It was in Canada, and her passport had expired, and she didn't have the right kind of a driver's license, and so she had to wait a couple of days to have it taken care of. And so one of my beloved friends said, why did you bother to come if you didn't bring her? So anyway, <laughs> you know where that stands. All right, uh, Pastor, let me tell you, you may have heard, my my wife's brother just passed away in January. She had prayed for him for 60 years, 60 years, and uh, he got saved last summer. And I praise the Lord he's in heaven today. But what I do regret is that he didn't have the, all of those wonderful years of knowing how God would meet the needs. And so, uh, you know, just I want to just encourage you with that because God answers prayer. And folks, we need prayer in our personal lives like never before, and we need prayer for our country like never before. I, uh, I have a real burden for that. Uh, earlier this month, I was asked to bring a series on revival over in Polson, Montana. And uh, so it was good for me. As I studied the Old Testament scriptures, I found, well, first of all, I found that you never have revival without a lot of prayer on the part of God's people. So that means the political answer to the problems in this country today is not conservatism or anything else. The, the answer to the problems in our country today is a spiritual answer. That's what we need. And it's, it's you and me, people just like us. And so we need to be so aware that uh, we are in connection with the most powerful, powerful one in all of the universe, and that is a sovereign God. So we thank God for that. Um, but I also found that not only was it prayer, but it's just amazing how many revivals there were in the Old Testament and, and in the New, but especially in the Old Testament. In fact, I don't want to be, you know, you've got a revival going on here at Berean Baptist Church. Did you know that? I mean, when you think about where things were three or four years ago, <laughs> Danny and Roger and the rest of you, I mean, sometimes things looked a little grim, you know, but, uh, and then uh, nine years ago, uh, do you realize this fall it'll be nine years since we first started coming over here? Can you believe it? Um, but uh, 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 God, is, God has done some things here, hasn't he? And uh, to God be the glory. But uh, as I studied, I found some things that were very interesting. Uh, Jacob is a good case study of, of a revival where you get back to where you should be. Now, there was a real, it wasn't that he wasn't trained uh, under a godly influence, it, that home was dysfunctional to be sure, but still there was a, there was a uh, godly influence and he was very much aware of that. And then God brought him, brought him back to the place where he should be and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at that. But revival is also pleading with God to restore that which had been before and, and Daniel is a wonderful example of that. Daniel chapter 9, my heart is just touched as Daniel, this great man of God, but he was saying, oh, Lord, take away everything from my life uh, because I know that you have some promises in your word and, uh, and, and those, those promises can be fulfilled. And, and my, heart just, my heart just aches. Here is a godly man, but he wanted something more 
not just for himself, but for the nation, uh, the Jewish people. And then, of course, uh, prior to Daniel is this man, Isaiah, and uh, he really lived in some very troubling times as far as his nation was concerned. Uh, I had planned on bringing several of these messages, but uh, it's, it's not going to work out while I'm here. But I'm, uh, as I think about Isaiah, what really sustained him was that he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And uh, folks, it wouldn't matter what's going on as far as this world is concerned, as we see the Lord high and lifted up. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the, the uh, man Jacob. And uh, it's amazing who God uses sometimes, isn't it? I mean, Jacob does not, at some points, fit the profile that you think of as being a, uh, you know, a, a spiritual giant. But, but he ends up being a prince with God. I'm so glad for that. You may look at yourself and think, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of going through the motions. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a believer. But I'll never, I, I just never will have that great spiritual stature. Uh, don't count God out, okay? We find that uh, there's just some wonderful things. Now, one of the things I've done today is I've asked some young men to uh, help me out as far as scripture reading is concerned. We have so much that we want to cover today and uh, we'll not be able to get it all done, obviously, but I'm, I want to really take a look at uh, this man, Jacob, and there's three major points that we want to, to take note of. If you'd like to take notes, uh, the first point that I want to emphasize is that God revealed himself to Jacob personally. And before you can have a restoration, you have to have an understanding that, of who, that, that God has revealed himself to you. God revealed himself to um, Jacob uh, on a personal basis. And then there was the response. There was the response of Jacob to God's working. And then uh, finally, we find that there is the restoration of God uh, in behalf of Jacob that is just such a blessing to us. But we're going to look at God's revelation to Jacob uh, on, on a personal basis. I'm going to give you just a little, turn with me if you would to Genesis chapter 25. I'm just going to quickly allude to something here um, that I hope will be a blessing and encouragement to you as we, as we look at this whole process. Uh, before we go further, let's ask God's blessing upon this and uh, just ask that uh, God's hand would be upon what we do here this morning. The Lord, I am so aware of the fact that uh, I can't do anything without you, and I, I really don't want to. Uh, we don't want to do anything in the flesh. Uh, we're not looking for compliments uh, from some uh, theologically crafted message. What we want is to just bring ourselves to that place where we are so moved and humbled before you, Lord, that we want God to be exalted. We want you to be glorified, and we want your word to be loved, and we want Jesus Christ represented right. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that it would be so. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, very quickly, in Genesis chapter 25, we find an, an, the, a sub-point under the fact that God revealed himself to Jacob. We see that Jacob was a very ambitious man. I mean, he was, he was uh, today you might uh, call him, I'm a self-made man. Have you ever heard of those people? I'm a self-made man. And they like to talk about all of their accomplishments and how crafty they were and all the deals that they make and things like that. <clears throat> well, uh, self-made men have to realize they couldn't do anything without God's help. 
But uh, we're going to see that Jacob, uh, Jacob thought that he could, and, and when he wasn't sure he could, he thought that he could negotiate with God. And uh, so we, uh, in the 25th chapter, we find that uh, Jacob had been able to, to get the birthright from his brother Esau, all right? And that was, that was big, to get the birthright. That, that meant that uh, the first person was the one that got, uh, that, that, that got a double portion of, of, the, uh, of what the heirs would get. Uh, so he was able to get that. By the way, that's kind of interesting because as you think, as you think about Jacob at the end of his time, and you think about all of the flocks and all of the camels and the sheep and the cattle and everything like that, it's true that he had really prospered over there, but it's also true if he wouldn't have had to run out in the first place, he could have prospered right there. Okay? He could have prospered right there. Uh, it's very, very fascinating to think about that. So he, he was able to cheat his brother uh, out of the uh, birthright, and then uh, he also was able to cheat his brother, brother out of the family blessing in the 27th chapter of uh, the book of Genesis. And we're going to pick this up now, where because of what he had done, he, uh, he was scared of his brother Esau, and obviously he had really deeply hurt his father Isaac because of how he had uh, deceived his father, and his mother was scared to death that he might get killed by the other brother, so this man's in a lot of trouble, isn't he? I mean, it isn't worth it. It just isn't worth it. And maybe I can say, one of the things that uh, I've been in the ministry over 50 years now, and sometimes there's young people that think, well, I've got to have this little time where I can go and do my thing and sow my wild oats. You don't have to do it, all right? You don't have to do it. You can live for the Lord all the time, and uh, the older you get, the more glad you are that you never did it, all right? But uh, we find that uh, Jacob had this time where he was out, uh, out, out away from home, and because of his behavior, because of bad decisions, he made that uh, that certainly weren't godly decisions uh, he is in a tough spot so number one I have some young men would you stand up number one would you stand up and read the passage that I had for you and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Verse 13 as well, I'm sorry. I did. Did you? I must have copied the same thing twice, but if you copy the same, same thing twice, you get more. So <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Yes, uh, Jacob now is, had to run from home, and he is all alone. And uh, if you try to do it without God, it's a pretty lonely walk, okay? And uh, so Jacob, uh, he had, had to lead home. Okay, number two. Stand and read that for me. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in, thee and, thy, and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and shall bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Thank you. Wow, that's a good preaching voice, isn't it? I mean, that's... <laughs> uh, one of the things that's really good here, we're, you're going to see something. There's some subtle messages here that are so thrilling to us. Even though we may not be where we should be, our God is always where he is. Aren't you glad for that? Our God is always there. 
And uh, sometimes there are those who, who drift, and uh, not only drift, but cling, run from God, and, and are outside of the place where they should be spiritually. I want you to know that God never gives up on you. Aren't you glad for that? And uh, what, a, what a blessing to know that. So, there's the ambition of Jacob. He will do anything he can to get ahead. He, uh, he tricked his brother into taking the birthright. He uh, cheated in getting the uh, family blessing, uh, which uh, involves uh, being the leader as far as the family is concerned. Now, God had wanted him to have that, but God would have taken care of it, wouldn't he? God would have taken care of that. And uh, I don't know just exactly how it would have all worked out, but that's what God wanted. And if God, that's what God wanted, God would have taken care of that. All right. So we see, first of all, as we think that God revealed himself to Jacob, God is revealing himself to a man who is very ambitious, and he's going to get whatever he can, any way he can, and that's what he did. But in spite of his failure, God is still there, and you see the affirmation. That's in the verse that was just read. But I'd like to have you also think about the fact that along with this affirmation, you're going to start to see the attitude of Jacob. You see, both in this next passage that I have uh, that's going to be read, we see the affirmation of God, but we also see uh, this attitude of Jacob because Jacob realizes that he is in a lot of trouble. The, the, the trouble with Jacob is, is that he can see he's out of, in a lot of trouble, but he, when things ease up a little bit, he just goes back into being Jacob, all right? And... Uh, you, you get that? I mean, he just, he goes back to being Jacob. And uh, we need to forget about being ourselves. We need to focus on being godly, don't we? What pleases the Lord? And uh, I remember when uh, I got married, uh, suddenly there were some things that I always thought were funny and things that I wanted to do. And uh, I realized my wife didn't think they were funny, and it wasn't too long I didn't think they were funny anymore. And uh, because I had a new person that I wanted to please, and it's even more true with our Lord, isn't it, that we want to please him. We want to be certain that what we do pleases the Lord. Well, Jacob wasn't too concerned about that at this particular point in his life. So number three, who has number three? All right. All right, and then it goes on to say that that uh, Jacob <clears throat> Jacob gets up early in the morning and he builds an altar, doesn't he? <clears throat> and uh, Jake, Jake, you know, <clears throat> the interesting thing is is that a person like Jacob. We, I would call Jacob a person that's in a backslidden condition. He is really, he is really doing things on his own. And uh, as, I, as I said, his ambition was so uh, self-serving. And, and by the way, when you're not living for the Lord, it's a very selfish thing to not be living for the Lord. Do I need to repeat that? It's a very selfish thing to not be living for the Lord. And, and, and the people that are involved in being backslidden they're really not concerned about the impact of what they're doing on others. But it's very dangerous. When you are out of fellowship with God, it's not just you that's affected. It's not just you that's impacted. It may not happen immediately, but the results of that being out of fellowship will occur. All right? You'd be surprised how many men that I have talked to over the years 
that have told me that they did some things. Well, for example, I know of men who said, well, I was careless about drinking alcoholic beverages, and then they had a son that grew up to be an alcoholic. You see, their dad set a bad example, didn't he? And it, it produced some results that were very negative as far as their life, and it could be other things as well. And uh, so when we are, don't think that we're skating home free when we do something that's contrary to the Word of God. All right, uh, and one of the things that we see in this particular passage is, is that Jacob also thinks that he has a right to negotiate with God. He thinks he has a right to negotiate with God. I don't have a right to negotiate with God. I have the responsibility to submit to God, to submit to God. Lord, what is your will? By the way, his will is always so much better. I have a man that's become a dear friend of mine. <clears throat> Three years ago, <clears throat> they found he had brain cancer. And they did surgery and they went through chemo. They've gone through all kinds of things. And the doctors <clears throat> told him <clears throat> that you probably have about 18 months to live maximum. Well, it's been three years and he's still living and he's still thinking and he's still He's, he's, not, he's no longer working or anything like that. He doesn't have the strength that he once did. But he is still being a testimony for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and his, his life verse at this point is Psalm 37. That, that if he just commits himself into the Lord, trust also in he shall bring it, to be, bring it to pass. And that he has a desire to please the Lord. And what a joy to see Tom Hale. Just, <clears throat> just such a testimony of the Lord. <clears throat> He goes into uh, <clears throat> Fred Meyer there and <clears throat> excuse me in Monroe, <clears throat> and I've seen him a few times. And we <laughs> we have this habit when I go through the checkout stand, they they have to ask you how you are, and so I tell them how I am. I say I'm praising the Lord. Sometimes I have people say, "Oh," uh, sometimes I have other people praise the Lord, and then I have some people get very no uh, get very nervous. Well, when Tom and I see each other in Fred Meyer, uh, we say, "Praise the Lord." You know, that's okay. If they want to kick us out, uh, we're, we, they can do it. But praise the Lord. The Lord is so good. And uh, the uh, assistant manager, when he was alone here recently, called him aside and he said, uh, you know, we've been watching you for a long time. He's in, a, he's in a cart now. He uses a cart to get around. And he said, uh, we've been watching you for a long time. <clears throat> and he said, uh, you're the real thing. <laughs> what a blessing. You're the real thing. He thought he was doing it in order that uh, he thought he was doing this religious thing in order to get uh, uh, to get money or something like that that he could beg. And he, they'd watched him, and for months he was going in there and always had a smile on his face and was always praising the Lord. And he never once asked for money. And so this assistant manager said, "You're the real thing." <laughs> That's a pretty great testimony, isn't it? To be able to say uh, that, uh, to have that said of you, you're the real thing. And, and folks, I want you to know there's nothing better that can be said of you as far as your Christianity is concerned, that you're the real thing. Now, Jacob, Jacob probably would have had people around him as they saw him wheeling and dealing that weren't sure he was the real thing at times. He may have said, oh, no, 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 I know Jehovah. I, my parents taught me about Jehovah, and I believe in God. And, and they could, he could recite all of the things about uh, whatever they had at that particular time, spiritual truths they had at that time. But there would have been a lot of people that wouldn't feel that he was the real thing. Praise the Lord. Uh, there's, a, there's the joy of God that we can have as we, as we try to really live for him. <clears throat> so... We find here, who's number four? Who's number four? 
put it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luzeth the first. Would you read that next verse as well? And Jacob bowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. All right, number five. Number five. Number five, would you read that? And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way, that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. Hold it. Hold it. You're right. I mean, I just... But did you hear what he said? Read that. Would you read that again? That last sentence? Then shall the Lord be my God. Even back up one beyond that. So that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. All right, keep on going. And this stone which I have set shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Thank you. Wow, the audacity of that man. I'm, if you do what I want you to, then you're going to be my God. In fact, it's even a little more serious than that because he uses the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, my God, Jehovah Elohim, all right? This is, this is serious stuff. Who am I to think that I can negotiate with God? Again, I say, it's not my right to try to bargain with God. It's my responsibility to serve God because my God will always do what's best for me. And your God will always do what's best for you if you do what he says. He always will. You can count on it. And, and I, I just, uh, as, as a result, maybe I could just share personal testimony. You know that I went through some rather interesting things health-wise this last year. And uh, when I went back uh, in, uh, to the doctor, uh, my cardiologist in um, November or whenever it was, he said, uh, Pastor Newman, he said, uh, this, by the way, this cardiologist is one of the doctors who is a born-again Christian. Praise the Lord, just a great guy, Chinese man. And uh, he said, I want you to know, you're part of a case study now. I mean, I mean I've mean, i had people call me a case before, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, he said, you're part of a case study. You know, we, we have certain patients that uh, have unusual presentations, and I can see where I'd have unusual presentation. But uh, anyway, I have an unusual presentation, and he said, we decided to, we, we, he said, I think there's about five or six doctors, and we try to discuss your particular case. And I thought, oh no, what did they come up with? And he said, um, what they, they, they can't go over how you responded at your age. You know, they always bring up this age thing, Brother Roger, you know, really, my grandchildren, you know, they rub it in. When I go to speak at 150th anniversary, they wonder if I started the church. And so <laughs> it's this age. I'm not sensitive about it, but please, you know, don't bring it up all the time. Anyway, they, they said, they said uh, you know, at your age and everything, you, you just responded unusually well. And uh, they said, uh, we know you never smoked, and we know that's a positive. And, and uh, of course, when I came out of the surgery, I guess, I, I prayed, oh, Lord, don't let me say anything that would dishonor you. I, oh, I didn't, I, I just, I had so many friends that told me they were so embarrassed because of things that they said in coming out of the surgery. And I said, Lord, don't let me do that. And, and I didn't, praise the Lord. 
because every question they asked me, I said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I sounded like I was a charismatic or something like that. But, but it's a little better, you know, slightly better than... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can see how I would, const, I would qualify for being a case, you know. But uh, anyway, so they said, uh, yeah, they said, you know, and, and of course, um, you have a positive attitude. You know, that always helps in the healing process. And you never smoked, you never drank, you never did drugs, you never did this, you never did that. And they go, boom, boom, boom. And by the way, they were asking me all those questions before I went into surgery. I mean, no, 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 no. And they looked at me and like, well, you haven't had any fun in your life. I've had a glorious life, all right? I mean, it's just a, it's been a wonderful life. Uh, I'm not the, I went to the University of Wisconsin. Uh, and Friday nights were the time where all the boys and the, or all the guys in the dorm bailed out and they went and got drunk. And uh, I was, you know, I was a pretty lonely guy because I, I didn't do it. And uh, <laughs> they would have the headaches the next day, and I didn't. And I thought I had a better deal than they did. But anyway, um, so they, they duly noted all of those things, and they just kept going on. I was somewhat of a mystery to them. And so my doctor said uh, <laughs> the reason that uh, Pastor Neiman responded so well is because he had a lot of God's people praying for him. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to have doctors like that around? And, uh, and, and, and they didn't argue with him because anything that helps makes them look good. So, you know, they, they, if, if, that's, if that's his thing, that's okay. It works. By the way, I am now part of some kind of a case study uh, that they've got going on. They, they're, they're thinking maybe now it's something genetically that uh, reason that uh, some people respond better than others. The problem genetically is I've got a genetic sin problem, all right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what got me into trouble in the first place. And, uh, but uh, praise God, God's greater than, than a genetic problem. Did you know that? It's, it's good to know. So we find that, that Jacob thought that he could negotiate with God. He thought he could bargain with God. Now, the best thing that we can do is with God is just tell him, Lord, you got my life. My life is in your hands. And I'm not trying to elevate myself before you when I say this, but I will tell you this. It is such a wonderful thing to put yourself in God's hand. This same cardiologist, before I was going to have the heart procedure done, he said, Pastor, I do need to tell you, I had, a, I had a kink in my artery I didn't know I had, and they didn't know I had it until this thing showed up. He said, I have to tell you, and, and they did, by the way, have a very hard time with that procedure. He said, I have to tell you that some people don't survive this. Do you know what a piece it is to know that when they put you under, you know that if you wake up, you could be looking straight into the eyes of Jesus. That's a wonderful, that is a wonderful thing. And, and I know that I was 76 years old, but that can happen to people 26 years old also. All right? Listen. We don't give anything up for God when we live for God. And we seek to serve Him and live for Him and to glorify and honor Him. Well, my, my responsibility is to say, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, I want you to do it. Uh, so, by the way, those who disobey God sometimes have the attitude that they can bargain with God uh, if, if they will come back to God. We're not in a bargaining position, okay? We are in a submissive position and just say, Lord, 
acknowledge those things that are wrong. Uh, one of the Psalms that I read from my own personal devotion this morning was, was Psalm 51. I kind of hesitate to get to that Psalm every month when I go through the Psalms because that's David confessing his sin. It just grieves me. It's a high price, isn't it, to pay for disobedience, to pay for selfishness. Oh God, cleanse me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? Oh Lord, t- take care of my transgression. Take care of my iniquity. I am, that was something filthy within my heart. You need, I need a clean heart. And I'm glad that when that person comes to God with an attitude like that, God answers those prayers. And that person is restored and brought back to where he should be. But we find that Jacob's response at this particular uh, point is very, very, I mean, he thinks he can be very uh, bargaining with God and it's very conditional. So we need to constantly be in our lives uh, on, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, perhaps, on a, at least sometimes <laughs> during our conscious hours and sometimes in things that we dream. We need to be confessing those things that are wrong. Confess it and cleanse it. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Oh God, we need to confess these things and confess the thoughts, the immorality, the pornography that is so flagrant today, uh, the dishonesty, the gossip, the stealing, the divisiveness, every thought, and then attitudes that are unbiblical, unscriptural. They need to be cleansed and confessed. And then I, this is something I have to keep bringing myself back to. Am I in a state where I'm in the word of God so I am adoring God? I'm worshiping God. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. And the Psalms are a wonderful, wonderful thing. You see, adore him for his attributes. Isn't it wonderful that our God, you know, we like to think about our God being all-powerful. We like to think about our God being eternal. We like to think about our God doing Folks, our God is absolutely pure. Our God is incapable of even thinking anything wrong. Everything our God does is absolutely pristine and pure. Isn't that a glorious thing to have a God like that? He is absolutely righteous. He is absolutely pure. And to think about that and to adore him for that is certainly uh, so important. And then we need to be at that place where we are grieved and we are convicted and burdened because of of even things that happen in the lives of others. Uh, I mean, other believers, when they do something that is contrary to the word of God, it doesn't make us feel better about ourselves it makes us grieve because of what it's doing to the first, to the Lord, first of all, and then what it's doing to them. So Jacob, here he is in this particular spot. Very quickly, uh, but but we find again uh, Genesis thirty. We find things are starting to close in on him. Uh, Jacob does go through some things now. Jacob deceived, and there was a deceit that was never taken care of. And when you have a sin that's not taken care of. It seems to come back on you, and later on it did, again and again and again. For one thing, uh, Jacob was deceived by Laban, his father-in-law. Uh, I mean, how horrible would it be? I mean, they married in this, he, he, he got his bride in the dark, and when he saw her in the light, he found out he had the wrong woman. That, that had to be a real deception, didn't it? And then, of course, we find that he was deceived as far as... Uh, keeping the flocks and things like that. Jacob said, you did it. You deceived me again and again and again. He went through all of those things. Perhaps the greatest deceit that really broke his heart was later on when his sons 
uh, ten of his sons pretended that his son Joseph was killed, and he lived with that for years. Jacob lived with that for years, thinking that his son... That's a big deceit, isn't it? Uh, one of the things I've observed, the person that deceives is the easiest person to deceive. They tell us <laughs> that the earth, easiest person to steal from is a thief. Isn't that interesting? So there's Jacob. So now we come to the place where Jacob is really, he's really uh, coming to the place where God is working in his life. And I, I know I've got to hurry. But uh, let me just quickly go over this. We find that as we think about Jacob's response, uh, he has to deal with, with this present personal deception. Uh, that he suffered at the hands of Laban. It is fascinating that Jacob is there working for Laban and eventually he gets a, a share of Laban's flocks. And of course, Jacob, as you read that account, he, he knew how to have the best ones for himself. And, and uh, his flocks grew and were healthy and Laban's flocks and, and his sons uh, observed were, uh, Laban's sons observed that they were uh, becoming poor and poor. But uh, Jacob, <clears throat> Jacob knew uh, prosperity. Uh, let me say, when you are out of fellowship with God, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to suffer financial loss. Sometimes, sometimes people that are very deceptive and very, very ungodly, for a time, they prosper. Psalm 73 tells us that. But remember this. It also tells us in Psalm 73 that their feet are in slippery places. It could go at any time. It could go at any time. Well, so David had, or Jacob, excuse me, he had uh, prosperity. Uh, by the way, I, I just couldn't help but jot a little note to myself. While in this particular time, he probably always considered himself one who knew God. He was, I mean, he was, He'd been disobedient, but he always probably considered himself one who knew God. So just because someone is backslidden doesn't mean that they don't acknowledge God. It's just not God is not supreme in their life, and they're not right with God. So we find that uh, Jacob uh, probably would have said that, that he knew God. By the way, you have to understand, you may think, well, how could this happen? Sin does strange things to our thinking patterns. It affects our mind. And we don't think like we should. And sometimes, you know, I've seen people, and you think, what is going on? You know, why can't they see what's happening here? Or why can't they see what's going to happen? Well, Jacob, Jacob was in that kind of a condition. God may not deal immediately with sin, but he will deal with it. Uh, a lady in the church that I pastored, just the last church I pastored, she shared with me one day that uh, her, her husband was very casual about his relationship with God and his responsibility to him for years and years and years. He would have, he would have said that he was a Christian anytime. A, a dedicated Christian? No, he wouldn't have said that. <clears throat> he came to church occasionally. He was very casual about his responsibility. Oh, he didn't care that, the, that his wife gave a tithe on a regular basis. You know, he kind of thought he had to do that uh, to get through that. But uh, this lady told me, she said, you know, what really scares me 
because he's not really in fellowship with God, is that <clears throat> I feel scared. Because when you're around somebody that's not in fellowship with God, sometimes those closest to them also suffer. Did you know that? They suffer. And she said, I'm scared for my family. Well, this man later on did become more faithful. But today he has a son who claims that he doesn't even believe in God. You see what I'm talking about? You can't afford to have those little hiatus times where you do your own thing. We have to be a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every month of the year. Okay? We, we just can't afford. Jacob, he, he appeared to prosper, but there was a huge problem. Well, there were obviously conflicts in his home. There had been conflicts. Jacob, because of, his, because of his attitude, he'd had conflict in his birth home. He had conflicts in his, in the, in his marriage. Uh, it just went on and on and on. In fact, Jacob wouldn't even, he couldn't even return back to his home with conditions the way there were. He was, he was afraid to, and they were becoming increasingly difficult under, <laughs> under the conditions that he found himself with as far as Laban was concerned. But things became so bad that he decided, I have to get out of here, and he started to leave. <clears throat> and we start to pick this up in Genesis chapter 30, 31, and I'm going to pick it up at Genesis 32 now and just, uh, just go over this very quickly, and then we'll bring this to a close. Um, this is the third major point that I want to make, and that is, is that God restores Jacob. God restores Jacob. I, you know, I don't know everybody here. I don't know every young person, but, but if there is anyone here that's kind of drifting as far as your Christian life, don't let it go on a minute longer. I mean, come back to that place of fellowship. Come back to that place where there is that sweet and blessed and submissive fellowship with God and that surrender to the will of God and obedience to the word of God. Don't let any more time go because any time not there is time wasted. And the sad thing is, God is so gracious, but that time that you lost is time that's gone. All right, It just is gone. <laughs> and uh, that's so important. So in Genesis chapter 32, by this time, Jacob had had to flee Laban, and he had Laban behind him, very upset with him, and uh, he, also, uh, he also knew that Esau was ahead of him, and here he has now a wife with all of these children, <clears throat> and he has all of the flocks and everything. Jacob knew that he was at a place he could lose absolutely everything if it were left to the human, <laughs> to the, to the human perspective. That's the way it looked. And so we find here in Genesis 32, once again, he finds that he is wrestling, or not wrestling, but he is encountering the new difficulty. And I'd like to have you just uh, see how, how Jacob, he... he he knows that he needs God, but once again, he still is that place where he thinks he can negotiate with God. Verse 9 of chapter 32, and Jacob said, Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. That's kind of neat. <laughs> I mean, I'm, God, God, you took care. You made that promise to Isaac and you made that promise to Abraham. And, and I, I'm, you know who I am. Uh, that's the, I, you're the God. <laughs> Uh, the Lord that says to me, return to thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Right now, he likes to have the promises of God, doesn't he? He likes to have the promises of God. But watch what he does. 
he still tries to negotiate with the intellect and the cunningness of Jacob. If, if we want the promises of God, we've got to trust God alone and just totally uh, surrender and uh, be submissive to him. Uh, verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies. Amen to that. Amen to that. And by the way, I qualify for that as well, folks. None of us are worthy of the mercies of God. By the way, that word mercy is very wonderful in the Hebrew. The, the word mercy in Greek is a, is a good word, but it has an added dimension in the Hebrew. Do you know what the word mercy in the Hebrew, it's true that it's withholding punishment, but there, there's actually about four or five words that are translated in our English language, mercy, from the Hebrew. But there's several of them that have the idea that, that in mercy you reach down and you kind of get on the same level, even like a little child, and you lift them up. Oh, God was so merciful to me when he saved my soul as a 16-year-old boy. He lifted me up. I, I, had, I had a terrible temper before I was saved. And to see that God controlled that in a very, in a very wonderful way. I, I actually... When I would cut somebody up verbally into small pieces and send them off in all directions, I felt good about it, and I thought, you know, I wish I'd have said some more things. After I got saved, I felt bad if I even came close to something like that. Why? Because God had done work in my life. I was changed. I was changed. Aren't you glad that our God is a tender, merciful God? He reaches down, and he lifts us up. And in spite of our failures... In spite of our fumbling, he is, so, he is so kind, and he is gracious as well as being merciful. So, well, many years ago, I was in charge of the uh, game time in a youth club that we had in our church. This was in the Midwest, in the Milwaukee area. We had a junior high boy. His, name, his last name was Schultz. Everybody called him Schultz. He was big, too big for about a 12-year-old kid. I mean, he was much, he was really big. He's not only tall, but big. And now he had, he had a big mouth, really big. And so here I was trying to run this game time, and every time I'd say something, Schultz interrupted me, and the kids would laugh at him. <clears throat> and the more they laughed at him, the more he did it. And finally, I'd had it. And uh, I, I said, Schultz, and I put my arm on my hand right underneath his chin and look eye to eye with him. You know, that's, that's how to really get their attention, all right? So I looked eye to eye. I gave him my best burning, blazing eyes. And all of a sudden, Schultz, his eyes just went all over the place. And I didn't realize that he had a nervous eye situation. I felt terrible. Right before all of those other boys, I hadn't said anything yet. But before all of those other boys, I had embarrassed him. Now, I am not brilliant, but God helped me right at that instant. And I just said, Schultz. And the other kids could see all of this. And you could just see him wilting. And I said, I want you to be my assistant. You got that? He said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, get in line. Tell the other guys. Thank the Lord, you know, the Lord helped me. But I want you to know, our God does that for us, don't you? I mean, 
It's, it's true. We've got a big mouth sometimes. Amen? Not very many people are saying amen right now. Sometimes we do things that are wrong. Aren't you glad that our God is a tender God? And he gets down on our level. And he lifts us back up. And Jacob may not have realized that, but when Jacob was wrestling with God that night, God was doing some things in Jacob's life. And Jacob started that whole process, and he was a rich pauper. But when God got through with him that night, he was a prince with God. That's what God can do. That's what God needs in mercy. Jacob had a revival. Do you understand what we're talking about? And God used Jacob in a wonderful way. And in spite of Jacob's failures, God could use him. And I need examples like Jacob. Tom Neiman needs that from the Word of God. There's those wonderful men like Daniel. There's those wonderful men like Isaiah that God does something greater and more. And, but praise God, he also does it with the Jacob. And so if there are things in our lives that aren't exactly where they're at, they should be, just remember there is a merciful God that wants to look eye to eye. And he wants to lift you up. Not only will he forgive you, forgive me, but he will do something with us greater and better than ever had been done before. Praise God that we have a merciful God, and we see that in the life of Jacob. What a wonderful thing to know that our God is a patient God. Our God is a merciful God. He lifts us up. There isn't any other God and all of the world that's worshipped, that is a merciful God. And so he had this encounter with God. And when he, God got through with him, he wasn't this conniving person. He was a broken person. When Esau saw him the first time after many, many years, he didn't see that proud and arrogant Jacob. He saw a living man, a broken man. And I think it broke Esau's heart. And because of that, Esau forgave him. And Jacob had a peace because of his brokenness. And God was able to use him. My great prayer for my life, oh God, help me to be a prince with you. Because everything is absolutely cleansed and corrected and forsaken and I have availed myself of the mercy of God. I want my life from this time forward to be one that really counts for Jesus Christ. And by the way, if God can get enough of we Christians to have just exactly that attitude, it's going to affect our churches, it's going to affect our community, it's going to affect our country. That's the answer. We need to be able to let a powerful God work through dedicated, obedient, submissive Christians. It happens because of the great mercy of our God. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you so much for who you are. And no, we've just skimmed the life and the time of Jacob's life that was so critical. But Lord, thou art the God who in eternity past was a merciful God, a loving God, a gracious God. You are and you always will be. And Lord, I pray that honoring you and serving you and just being submissive to you 
will be more important to us than anything. May you just totally be supreme in our lives. May we not try to negotiate with you, but Lord, help us to submit to you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if God has spoken to your heart this morning, and even as the word of God has been going forth, God has just spoken to your heart. And, and in your heart, you've, you said, Lord, there are some things I need to address. And I not call your name or anything, but I love to pray for God's people. We have a long list of people that we pray for. But if God has spoken to your heart, and you'd like to just raise your hand and say, I, Preacher, I know that, I want you to know, God has spoken to my heart this morning. Would you like to just raise your hand? Where, yes, thank you. Yes, 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 thank you. Are there others? God has just spoken to our hearts. Father, again, thank you so much that thou art a gracious, all-powerful, loving, and again, Lord, I am so thankful for the mercy of God. Pray for this congregation, Lord. We thank you so much for what you've done, what you are doing here. And Lord, we just trust you for bigger things in the days ahead. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.